Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Welcome to the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. If you missed any of my talk radio breakfast show, don't worry. We've put some of the punchiest bits of this morning's show into a bite-sized podcast. The Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. Enjoy. Talk radio. Julia Hartley Brewer at breakfast on Talk Radio. Good morning to you. This is Talk Radio Breakfast with me, Julia hartley Brewer. Thank you so much for your company. I've got lots more top guests, including my next guest, the uh, local government minister, Simon Clark, who joins us now. Good morning to you. Good morning, Good Julia. morning. Now, we're going to be talking about Boris Johnson's uh, £2 billion cycling and walking revolution, but I think uh, the travel that's most concerning people at the moment is whether or not they can go on a foreign holiday or not. Uh, people arriving back from Spain since midnight on Saturday night have had to go into two-week quarantine. Um, the Spanish Prime Minister, uh, Pedro Sanchez, uh, says that uh, the quarantine across the whole country is not justified. Why do you think it is? Well, uh, it's, a, it's a very serious situation in Spain. We've taken advice, uh, as you'd expect, from the, uh, the JCB, the, uh, the, sorry, JBC, the Joint Biosecurity Committee, which advises ministers on the scientific data. We've seen this very sharp uptick in cases in Spain over recent days. There were 2,000 cases reported uh, on Friday. That marked a 75% increase from the middle of the week. And it's clearly the trend which is of major concern there, that this, that this pace of increase, which required uh, a, a sharp intervention from government to prevent uh, risk from being reimported back into the UK, just at a time when we've been able to make such progress uh, in getting the virus under control here. But why did it have to be across the whole country? And why does it have to include the Balearic and the Canary Islands, where there isn't an uptick in cases? You may as well uh, quarantine people who've been to Bradford. No, there, look, there's always going to be transfers of risk within uh, a country. The the JBC advice was, was clear that there, there is now a situation in Spain which requires intervention. I'm afraid it is simply a reality of foreign travel at the moment. We all we all don't like it, but it's just it's just the factual reality that in a global pandemic, you try to create air bridges. They're an important tool to enable foreign travel. But uh, as you do so, it is it is implicit within that that if the situation changes, then we have to uh, 
we have to have the flexibility to respond. Okay, the government always made it clear that there would be local lockdowns in the UK and there could possibly be quarantine from foreign travel. People looking to move a holiday from Spain to somewhere else in Europe right now, uh, people looking uh, to book a holiday to get a well-earned break after the lockdown, um, where should they be going and where shouldn't they be going? Can you give us some advice? Well, it's it's not for me to play uh, the nation's travel agent. What I would say is, that, you know, subject to uh, that condition I've set out, which is that, look, if the situation changes, we have to change the advice that we uh, issue, then people are totally at liberty to uh, to go abroad and to, and to have that holiday. Equally, uh, they are very welcome to stay at home and support the UK uh, tourist sector after what has been such an appallingly difficult few months. It is for each individual you know, and family to work out what level of risk they're comfortable uh, experiencing at the moment. And, and the, obviously the fact that we may, uh, although we hope not, have to do uh, further similar measures with... You know, but hold on a minute. You see, people have, people have to decide what level of risk they're willing to take. People were, were not thinking about it being a level of risk of them having to be quarantined when they returned from their holiday. People were, you know, do you want to risk going on an airplane, wearing a mask, going to another country? But when you announced that it was safe for us to travel to these other countries and people were able to get flights, I don't think most people thought there was an op- a possibility that there could be quarantining brought back in again so quickly to uh, one of our closest neighbours that was ahead of us on the curve in the uh, in, in the coronavirus pandemic anyway. So how can people weigh up the risks if they're not given full information? Well, we absolutely try to provide the fullest information that we can. Uh, clearly, this situation moved incredibly quickly in Spain. I mean, we opened the air bridge almost a month ago. As I say, the, the uptick in cases that we're talking about here only happened at the back end of last week. Up until this time last week, there was no reason to be concerned about Spain. That is, I'm afraid, the challenge of coronavirus, that a situation can evolve very, very quickly. And I think listeners would expect us to respond quickly. Uh, I think we'd be criticised very strongly if we didn't, frankly, uh, when we get new data which shows that the situation has changed. And what about financial help for people who are now forced to quarantine, who didn't realise, those who don't have a nice job where they can work with their laptop at home, as most of the people who are making these decisions can. People who actually have to go out to work, insecure work, zero hours, uh, contract work. Uh, what financial help is going to be available to them? Well, the first thing to say is that we strongly encourage employers to take a sensible and supportive approach to this issue and to work with their staff to find viable options for them either to work from home or to keep them on sent on, on full pay. If someone is in a difficult situation, it's really important to emphasise that schemes like universal credit are available, that they can pay out advances quickly if that is required, and that the state will be there uh, ultimately as a safety net if people do find themselves uh, in a difficult situation in response to this. I fully recognise, look, I represent a constituency in the north of England, which is a heavy manufacturing area just how challenging this is for people no one wants to have to do it but we also have to try and protect the public here and i think i think people will understand that okay well let's talk about travel closer to home and this announcement from the boris johnson the prime minister today kickstarting a two billion pound revolution in cycling and walking including bikes on prescription is this really going to work to tackle the obesity epidemic well, it's part of a multi-pronged strategy uh, to tackle obesity. So we, we, we talked earlier in the week about uh, how you can manage uh, diet, but it's also about exercise. And this is about trying to make it more viable for, for lots more people. Uh, the truth is that our cycle infrastructure simply doesn't 
uh, enable a lot of people to feel safe uh, when cycling. So creating thousands of miles of dedicated cycle routes, uh, encouraging people to bring old bikes back into use by bike, bike repair vouchers, e-bikes uh, to, to, as another alternative. All of these are tools, frankly, to equip more people to to do this and obviously to improve their health while doing so. Um, again, you say a bike repair voucher. Look, given if someone was going to cycle, they would be saving a lot of transport costs, whether it was petrol or a train or a bus ticket. I think they can probably afford to get their bike repaired with that cost. Um, E-bikes, what is the purpose of the government subsidising people buying a minimum cost of £1,000 e-bike? The whole point of a bike is you're using your own muscles and your, your heart uh, to make them work rather than sitting on an electric bike. And you're going to be spending hard on taxpayers' money subsidising people buying a bike for a grand? It does still involve a measure of exercise, let's be clear here. And it's about making sure that bike, bikes are available to the widest possible range of people. They Not are. They're already... Going. You can get a bike for 50 quid on eBay. Well, and, and, and look, there are many people here. I mean, we've just been referring to the fact some people do live, uh, obviously, in pretty straitened circumstances, particularly after what we've just been through. It's about making this more available... Uh, to as many people as we possibly can. Making £1,000 e-bike. E-bike's more available. Is that a good use of taxpayers' money? Well, Julia, we're not paying £1,000 towards it. You're offering a (laughs) one-third subsidy, probably, towards it. Yeah, hang on. We're making making this more available to you. I think that is the right thing to do. No, no, no. No, wait, wait. You're talking about a £300 subsidy to someone who can afford a £1,000 bike. If you can afford a £1,000 bike, you don't need a subsidy from anybody. Well, the point is here, it's about trying to encourage a modal shift. And there are costs, Julia, to the health service, enormous costs of the fact that the UK is currently, uh, by and large, overweight. That, that, that incurs billions of pounds worth of costs for the taxpayer here. If we can help to mitigate that by encouraging people to make healthier choices, then actually you are spending to save here. And I think that is, I mean, we, we've seen, frankly, that nothing else prior to now has really worked. So encouraging action on diet and enabling exercise is a sensible two-pronged strategy to try and change that. You think think giving someone who's already pretty well-to-do so they could afford an e-bike costing £1,000, you think giving them 300 quid of other people's hard-earned taxpayers' money is going to be the difference between them on a wet November morning going, yeah, I'll go and cycle to work instead of getting in the car. Really? I mean, do you honestly think that's a sensible use of taxpayers' money? Well, look, this is a this is a multi-pronged package here, and you know, equally, it's, it's giving you the, the voucher to bring your old bike uh, out of out of storage and back into use. The, the, this is a range of measures, and you know, the infrastructure investment is equally as important as the uh, support for bringing uh, bikes into use. Uh, making sure that we've got the road network, the cycle network, uh, enabling people to go and do this safely. It is, I think, something which most people welcome. We've got Chris Boardman. Uh, the, the, the former professional cyclist saying that he thinks today represents a major breakthrough. I think people will see that this is something which will change where we are on cycling as a country and make it much more more viable for hundreds of thousands of people. Well, again, but is the viability cost or is the viability safety? Well, obviously, that's a big concern. But for a lot of people, um, you know, getting two kids to schools, which perhaps aren't very nearby, getting them to school in time for preschool activities and, and uh, you know, the 8.30 or 8.45 start and then getting to work on time, picking up shopping on the way home and doing it when it's pouring down with rain in the autumn or the winter... Um, I'm not entirely sure that the cost of an e-bike is the thing that's stopping an awful lot of people cycling. 
No, look, I mean, we're clear. I don't expect everyone in the country to suddenly take up cycling. This isn't, this isn't exactly how that's going to work. So how many people do you expect more... to? It's about encouraging more people to do that. And clearly we do expect this will incentivise a lot more people to How many people? Well, I haven't done the uh, the, the modelling on that. Does that, has anyone in the government done the modelling? Of course the government does modelling when it introduces... OK, so, so the, so the government have... knows how many more people spending two billion quid on a cycling and walking revolution will lead to, to, to actually, uh, actually carrying out, you know, cycling or walking as opposed to driving or getting the bus to work. Yeah, look, we, 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 if you put the infrastructure in place, if you make it easier for people uh, to get their bike back into condition to use it, if you create uh, school streets, for example, to encourage children to cycle to school, of course you're going to encourage uh, a change in habits. All of government is about trying to make rational choices about how to uh, ensure that we get the outcomes that we want, how we incentivise uh, the right choices in life. And that is what this is doing. It's about making cycling more viable for lots of people at a time when we know there is a clear linkage between being overweight and being susceptible to coronavirus, among all the other health reasons why this is the right thing to do. OK, when we've got all of these measures, we've got, you know, the ban on buy one, get off free, get one free um, chocolate and crisp offers. We're going to have calorie labelling. We're going to have uh, um, a ban on adverts for so-called junk food. We're going to have this encouragement for people to cycle and walk. All of that, prescriptions to join Weight Watchers and the like from the GP. All of that put together. It's going to cost billions and billions of pounds. It's going to have a massive knock-on effect on the food and uh, drinks industry as well. Well, you say the government's done the modelling. Okay, except you're in local government ministry. You're not. You're not. You're not necessarily dealing with that yourself. But you're saying that the government actually has a measure of what will be a success and what will be a failure of this policy because it's billions of pounds of mine and my listeners' taxpayers' money. Um, how will we know whether it's actually worked or not? How many people will have to lose weight? How much weight will they have to lose? And how many billions will need to be saved for the NHS to make make this worthwhile? Well, I am a low-tax conservative too, Julia. So rest assured, I am equally as concerned about protecting the taxpayer interest here. But there is a massive taxpayer interest in the fact that the health costs linked to obesity are enormous and rising in our society. Roughly speaking, one in three primary school children is overweight. Two in three UK adults are deemed overweight. We've got to take action to try uh, and tackle okay, so, and there are, and there so are what is the measure of success and the measure of failure? Well, well, clearly this is something which will play out over the medium term because you don't change these habits uh, or outcomes overnight. But it is about whether, as we look back in the mid-2020s onwards, whether the UK is more active, is eating more healthily, is making better lifestyle choices, which get us more into line with the rest of Western Europe. Okay, the UK but once again, we're spending billions of pounds of other people's money to tell people, to encourage people, to force people to do certain things. The government, you should say, they've done the modelling. What would be the measure that says this was a successful policy that has saved money overall for the government and the NHS and has improved people's lives living longer? What is the measurement that there's going to be? Because you're, there's never going to be any way of saying, saying whether these have worked or not, is but, there? Well, no, so in no, which case, I, I is, how do we know the, they the will the measurement work? Would be, the measurement would be if you see a, 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 a gradual decline in the number of people who are overweight. And, the, and you can measure cycle usage. Of course, there are metrics that you can put in place to see uh, to, to monitor all of these things. That's part of the routine data gathering that the government does. The ultimate test of this is whether we are a healthier nation uh, at the end of uh, these changes. We're investing as two billion pounds over a five-year period. You would expect to see gains slowly but steadily 
as that investment goes on and to see more people okay. making healthier lifestyle choices. I think, I think that is a, a good goal for us to have. There's no miracle cure to this, but it is about trying to make sure that we do, as a country, make better choices than we have been to date. Online, on DAB, and on the Talk Radio app. Talk Radio. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Online, on DAB, and on the Talk Radio app. Talk Radio. Well, let's talk about all of this now with Tom Tugendhat, Sato MP and Chairman of the Foreign Affairs Select Committee. Good morning to you, Tom. Good morning, Julia. How are you? Very well indeed. Well, uh, the Foreign Secretary, Dominic Raab, has defended uh, the decision of the government to impose this quarantine. And we're now getting a little bit more information about why it happened. Um, So that we're told that 10 Britons tested positive this month after returning from Spain on holiday. And although that seems like a tiny number, given that we're testing 700 plus a day positive in the UK, but statistically that was significant. The government was looking at that, looking at the the latest data and decided that a, a countrywide quarantine was necessary. Um, do you think the issue is, though, that uh, the government should have told everybody that they should have given full information? And perhaps when they said they were looking at the issue, they should perhaps have given a bit of warning to people. Well, as you say, the the, the, the real question here is speed of information. I, I mean, I don't question the government's decision to uh, change the advice. I'm sure that they had the uh, the uh, very good reasons to do so. And they wouldn't have done this lightly. I mean, it's going to disrupt not just uh, many, many people who, frankly, wanted a well-earned break after a pretty stressful few months, as we all know. Uh, but it's also going to hugely disrupt relations with a very important ally, Spain. And it's also going to disrupt a lot of businesses. So this isn't something that the government would have done without really having to do it. Um, but the question you're asking is about speed of communication. And, you know, all I can say is I agree. And that's why our report from the Foreign Affairs Committee today is is really uh, calling for the government to be to be more fleet of foot if you like more responsive in communicating um this time perhaps they didn't have a choice i don't know we'll have to see uh, when we when we look into into the um but it- 
It's the fact that even the airlines, so we understand your British Airways staff were telling passengers who were arriving back on Saturday night before midnight that they would have to quarantine because they didn't have full information. The story was actually broken by journalists on the Sunday Times, Tim Shipman, rather than the government. Um, I mean, this is this all sounds like a bit chaotic, but but was it really a necessary decision at all? The Prime Minister of Spain, Pedro Sanchez, says that the uh, quarantine is, is not justified and certainly not a countrywide uh, uh, quarantine. And, and in particular, it doesn't need to include the Balearic and the Canary Islands, where most Britons are on holiday at the current time. And yet the Foreign Office has doubled down and said all but essential travel, even to those islands where there hasn't been an uptick in cases and where the cases are far lower than we've got here in the UK right now, should be avoided. I mean, the, the, it's almost like the government is sort of doubling down its head in the sand. If Why on earth should anyone from Britain have to quarantine from work for two weeks or have to cancel their holiday when they want to go somewhere or just been somewhere where there is a lower rate of coronavirus than here in the UK. That's insane. Well, the, the, look, I think there's, a, there's, a, there's, two in, there's two different issues here. The first is, that why has the advice been given in the way it's been given? Well, it's been given in that way so that people can claim on their insurance, actually. That's why uh, the advice says that all but essential travel, because unless there is foreign office advice against going somewhere, very often insurance won't pay out. So that's why that's been done. But look, I think you're absolutely right here. Look, we are getting more responsive here in the UK. As you know, uh, towns like Leicester have gone through uh, extra lockdowns uh, when re the rest of the UK has been opening, well, not quite as normal, but more like normal uh, than before. And, the, uh, and, and so we're getting better at local uh, lockdowns and local uh, controls here in the UK, and we should be doing the same abroad. And that means, you know, I'm afraid it does mean trusting people. I think, I think the British people are, have demonstrated over the last six months an enormous level of responsibility uh, and a huge uh, public, uh, you know, public spirited attitude. And so I think that we should be looking at countries like Spain or indeed other, other resort destinations and saying, look, some resorts we're going to treat differently to others. And it's not just simply a blanket ban, because the reality is that, uh, you know, if you're going through a particular hub, an airport or, or a port or whatever it may be, maybe you treat everybody who goes through that hub the same. But the, if you can fly directly to one of the Balearic Islands, for example, then the idea that you should be treated the same as Spain, I think, is, is uh, one of those areas where I would like to see the Foreign Office doing better. Well, you talk about trusting the British people. Look, there have been people who've been breaching lockdown and, 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 and not uh, obeying the sensible rules about social distancing and the like throughout, but in a small minority. Um, if you're saying we should be trusting, then, then should it not be mandatory then? Should it be based on people? Look, look, look after yourself. If you come back from holiday, for goodness sake, be extra careful. Avoid seeing people as much as you can social distance people in the office if you, you're in the workplace if you can be extra vigilant about washing hands wearing a mask as often as possible and and just trusting that people do that given that the, the people who would break the law anyway would probably break it you know whether it's mandatory or not well julia you're you're, you're broadly speaking explaining my philosophy so i'm just i'm not quite sure what more to say look i i, I think it's unless we're going to put a policeman outside everybody's door who's just yeah. going back from Spain. Broadly speaking, we are trusting people anyway. So why, why not just recognise it by saying, by, by giving people the information that we have and therefore saying, you know, X resort or X airport is a particular risk. If you fly through this resort or, sorry, if you stay at this resort or if you, if you fly through this airport, then uh, you really do have a responsibility to be more careful. Uh, and, and then trusting people from there, because the reality is we're not going to put a policeman outside everybody's door. We're not going to be doing that. But we, we are asking people to be responsible and we are asking people to uh, look out for their community. And, 
you know, you're right, Julia, there have been, uh, you know, breaches of lockdown in the recent months. We know of incidents where some people have behaved irresponsibly. But I was speaking to Kent Police the other day and they were saying the incidents are in the tens, not hundreds, yeah. ten. You know, most people in 1.8 million people living in Kent have been extremely responsible. I'm sure that's true across the rest of the country, too. Well, this is it. What about the measures, though, um, to test people when they come back uh, from uh, abroad? Uh, the government is talking about a plan for testing arrivals eight days after they arrive home. Uh, and that would allow, of course, the time for the uh, the incubation period. Uh, and then if they're negative, that two days later, they can go back to work. Um, does it not frustrate you that this is the government, that, you know, which you know, you, you, you're a member of the same party, that the government is still talking about plans for stuff like this? We've known since January. And I know developing tests takes a long time. There there are plenty of other countries in Asia, Middle East, elsewhere, where they are routinely testing people before they get on a plane, after they come off from a plane. Um, I know I know they've got the incubation period and therefore, obviously, we should be doing testing days afterwards as well. But does it not frustrate you that the government is still talking about having a plan for something which should have been in place probably months ago? Well, look, I'm uh, hugely pleased that some areas of testing are getting better. I've just received, I don't know if you can see, I've just received a, a testing instruction kit and... Um, you know, uh, I'm uh, I'm going to be doing my own test as I've signed up for one of these. Uh, I've been signed up, sorry, as one of the random survey uh, people. So I've just got it through. Yeah, my and husband very... just got one through yesterday in the post as well. Yeah. Has he done it yet? Um, no, he hasn't done it yet. No. Nope. Oh, right. He's actually he's actually already done an antibody test and doesn't have them, despite having had, we're pretty sure, the virus in March. So I don't know how accurate these things are. Well, let's see. I mean, the science is getting better all the time, so let's hope that these things get better. But uh, I agree with you. I mean, it's extremely frustrating that we are uh, where we are. But, you know, let's not forget that six months ago, well, a little more than six months ago, but uh, about six months ago, very few people had heard of coronavirus. And in the last few months, we have gone from, you know, naught to a thousand miles an hour in terms of responding to uh, what has been the greatest pandemic of our lifetime. And in fact, since uh, 19, whatever it is, 1919. So this is an extraordinary uh, moment and we should celebrate the fact that British scientists are doing uh, phenomenal work in vaccine research. And you're right, you know, of course we could do better. And, I'm, you know, I, as, you, as you know very well, Julia, I've been pushing the government to do better in many areas. But I think we should also recognise that Matt Hancock and the, and the health team have done a, a phenomenal job in recent months uh, to transform what was uh, a responsive uh, health system mostly geared to a chronic uh, illness. I mean, a phenomenal A&E system as well, but, you know, it, into an exceptionally uh, responsive system that, that has been working on coronavirus now brilliantly for many, wow. many months. Across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker, Talk Radio. In ongoing battles over uh, the issue within the Labour Party uh, for many, many years. Uh, but also we've seen an awful lot on social media. Indeed, that's where a lot of the battles over anti-Semitism have been played out in terms of social media. Well, uh, on Monday morning at nine o'clock, a 48-hour voluntary boycott of Twitter was begun by some of its users, many uh, very high-profile uh, political and celebrity accounts, uh, protesting at uh, Twitter's uh, lack of action on tackling anti-Semitism, in particular uh, with the uh, tweets of Grant music artist Wiley who shared a series of posts on Twitter on Friday. Some of the posts were later deleted uh, but Twitter was criticised for taking a very, very long time uh, to act and leaving some of those tweets up and refusing to permanently suspend or block the account. Well let's talk about this with Karen Pollock who's Chief Executive of the Holocaust Educational Trust. Good morning to you Karen. 
Good morning. Good morning. Um, now, um, I have to say, I've been speaking out, as you know, uh, on, on the issue of anti-Semitism. Um, again, it's, it's just it's just racism. Let's call it what it is uh, for uh, for a, a long period of time. But I've decided not to take part uh, in the uh, the Twitter boycott. And, and I think actually the explanation by Patrick O'Flynn, uh, who's a, a former uh, uh, MEP, who uh, actually he he um, he's, he summed it up nicely for me. He said, "I'm not boycotting Twitter for 48 hours because I believe in free speech in nearly all circumstances, including to." assist in holding uh, those with dumb, obnoxious and hateful views up to proper scrutiny. I support the criminal law against incitement, but cancel culture is not for me. Um, Isn't this just part of cancel culture, Karen? It's a good question. I think that the people who set up this campaign, um, I think actually it's about sending a message. I don't think they're saying they're not going to go back to Twitter. I think that's the point. It's a 48-hour walkout to say it's a protest, really. Um, I joined them, as have many others, really just to say we've had enough. I don't think this is about cancelling free speech. I think this is more about social media forums, understanding they have to make a choice. Is it literally a free-for-all and anything goes? Or are there certain parameters around which that site operates? They apparently have policies about, you know, if you, you know, you shouldn't breach, um, you you shouldn't place abusive messages and things like that. But I mean, there's no point having a policy if you don't put it into action and it has consequences. You said yourself, I mean, the rant from Wiley um, on Twitter and also on Instagram, I mean, it was vicious and it was it was incitement. I mean, it was horrifying to watch. Um, But most of all, what was horrifying was the fact that it was just endless and it was still there hours later, I think nearly 48 hours later. So this is more of a protest rather than suddenly saying nobody should have an opinion. No, I know. I understand that. Isn't it sort of still there, though, if you go to look for it? I was away on holiday. I didn't really uh, register much of it. I didn't go to look for it because, frankly, I I was on my old. Um, But but there's an argument also where, I mean, Look, if someone says something blatantly, obviously racist or homophobic, we, we, I think most of us can see, can can see that and to say, you know, that is unacceptable or you know, or uh, anything, anything that's clearly against the law. So inciting violence, inciting hatred. However, the rules that Twitter has and the rules that a lot of people who are part of this Twitter boycott have, it's it's about um about sort of controlling hate speech and banning hate speech. The trouble is, who gets to decide? I, 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 when it comes to our laws, at least that is accountable to us as voters uh, and, and Parliament is accountable to us when they make those laws. But when someone decides that, say, for instance, we uh, mentioned on the show many times, that, that something is transphobic, so... I don't believe that a, a a man becomes a woman simply by calling himself Karen. <laughs> you know that 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 itself is called transphobia, and I could therefore be taken off uh, and suspended, or even have my accounts uh, taken off completely, which has happened to a number of people for doing that um, yeah. by Twitter because that's regarded as hate speech. When we say that someone should be taken off a social media platform, when we say that people should be locked, we should take action against it. Are we not in danger of, you know, of, of basically setting ourselves up and, as judge and jury? I could read Wiley's tweets and go, I think this person is an anti-Semite. This person is racist. This person is unpleasant. I wouldn't want to have anything to do with this person. I can judge this person. I could hold them up for ridicule and contempt. But do they need to be banned? I think that social media companies need to decide what they are for. Are they uh, a forum that actually promotes and amplifies the values that they 
um, say they stand for? Are they representative of society? And I think you'd agree with me, Julia, that, you know, the majority of British people are good, decent people. They're not racist. Um, they're not anti-Semitic. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it, it, is that what these social media companies represent? If so, um, there, do, there does, I believe, need to be a framework. But what I should just say is, there's always there are always going to be arguments around some points that some people might say this is an opinion and some things are nuanced or some things are uh, I don't know less easy to understand and then there are some things that are just blatantly obviously racist and not just racist but they are incitement and I think Wiley was a very good but, example. But isn't that then a matter? It. That's a matter for the police to get involved. Then I mean, I mean you ask what, in, what are indeed, social media companies indeed. for? I'll tell you what they're for. They're for making money. Full stop. End of. Nothing else. Yeah. Yeah. Well, look, I use Twitter and I use Instagram and I, I enjoy using those forums for fun, for exchanging opinions, for sharing information. Um, but, you know, if somebody, for example, it's when we talk, for example, about Holocaust denial, when somebody says the Holocaust didn't happen, that isn't opinion, an opinion. That is a, an absolute denial of fact. Oh, but I would, um, I would and... know. I would defend their right to say that. If people want to, people want to be idiots and people want to be stupid. Um, I mean, yeah. we we can argue against that and explain why. Yeah. Why do we need to shut them down from saying it? What? So, so it all is about a context, isn't it? It's all about context. So. I don't think I, I, I keep going back to Wiley because that's the trigger, but it isn't just about him is the truth. The fact is that social media sites, and again, you'll know this because we've talked about this over the years, but over the past few years when um, anti-Semitism felt even more rife on social media um, with Jeremy Corbyn's Labour Party and, you know, the, the sort of, you know, the diatribe that sort of came out on our social media sites was horrendous. Um, and it was um, a bit, it, you know, it was flooding, if you like, social media. And it gets to a point where you have to wonder where a line is drawn. And, you know, I do take, I, I really do take the point about freedom of speech. And in a sense, it is a social media company's decision as to how, who they want to be and how they want to be. But, you know, we've got the online, online harms bill supposed to be it should come in. I think it should get into the statute books as soon as possible, where there is a bit more of a framework where those responsible, i.e. social media companies and their executives, take responsibility and are liable for what is on their sites in the same way that any other forum that has material on their sites um, sits on it. I, you know, it's really difficult because because Wiley is the trigger. I don't believe that isn't about an opinion. Okay. Um, you, could, you only need to watch one f piece of footage from him. Um, face to camera on Instagram and know that is he is trying to egg people on and bait them to hate and potentially attack Jews. Online, on DAB and on the Talk Radio app. Talk Radio. Thanks for listening to the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and give me a good review. And don't forget to catch me on the Talk Radio Breakfast Show every weekday from 6.30 until 10. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Confidence starts with loving who you are. 
And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW.